You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Good evening, tech fan listeners. This is tech fan number 111. said good evening i'm recording later than i would usually do it's uh, actually eight o'clock on sunday evening um tim and i weren't able to record on friday or saturday as we had planned to this week um real life intervened as uh, it sometimes does uh, but sticking to my new year's resolutions to try and get more shows done um, i said to tim okay well i'll probably have time to do a solo show so here i am and uh, here i go a uh, couple of things i want to talk to you about this week Regular citizens will remember that one of my other New Year's resolutions was to buy less used Apple equipment. Um, I went through a spate last year when I I was literally every few weeks I was buying new Apple laptops. um, Used Apple laptops, that is. And uh, yeah, that is something I've stopped doing now um, because it was getting kind of out of hand. Um, I have probably had about 10 or 12 of the things knocking around in various states of repair. Um, But one of the last ones I did buy just before I went off the Christmas break and I had my accident, um, I actually got a chance to play with a couple of weeks ago. Some, uh, most, of, most of the stuff I buy from eBay goes to the office. And uh, some friends of mine from work brought uh, some of my parcels home. Uh, and in there was this machine that, frankly, I'd, I'd forgotten I bought, to be honest. Uh, but I'm having a good play around with it, and it's kind of got me thinking. Um, so let me set the scene here. This is an iBook G3. Uh, from Apple, obviously, um, manufactured in 2003. Uh, it's an 800 megahertz machine. Um, it had 128 meg of RAM, but I've upgraded that to 640 now with by putting a 512 meg chip in. Um, it has 30 meg hard drive, 30 gig hard drive that is, sorry, uh, and a CD-ROM and um, a 12.1 inch display. So I've had a good chance to play around with this machine now and. Um, you know, it's, it's not half bad. And it really did get me thinking. Um, those of us in the tech industry will remember that a few years ago, probably about four years ago, just before the iPad launched, there was that big craze for netbooks. And netbooks were cheap, um, cut-down PCs, really cheaply built and manufactured. Um, the first one that came out was absolutely tiny um, and didn't even have a hard drive in it, had a, a cheap SSD drive in it. Uh, from Asus, as I recall, the EPC. Uh, And these things became, for about a year or two, a really, really big market segment. They um, basically went up to, um, you know, pretty much everybody in the market was making them. Uh, They sold for about, here in the UK, they sold for about 250, 200 to 250 pounds. So um, I think think they were broadly broadly in line with that in the States. They were sort of $300-ish. Um, and uh, the idea was they were they were smaller than your average laptop. They were a lot cheaper than your average laptop, and they were like kind of like a companion machine. Um, and they were fine for that. You know, I had a, I had a couple of them. I actually um, <laughs> I remember turning up to the first MacWorld I ever went to um, with uh, the original Asus EPC, 
uh, and my colleagues on the MyMac magazine looking at me with disgust when I pulled this thing out in the press room at, uh, at Macworld. But the reason I brought it along is because it was, it was the lightest laptop I had. I mean, it was really, really tiny. Um, and obviously all I was doing uh, while I was at the show was, was pretty much writing stuff for the site. And I didn't need a powerful laptop for that. And I certainly didn't want to be carrying something heavy around with me. So uh, it kind of made some sense. The other thing was it was cheap. So uh, had it been stolen from me in San Francisco or had I dropped it or something, yeah, you know, nobody wants to give away, you know, a couple of hundred quid. But nevertheless, it's, it, you'd rather lose a couple of hundred quid on dropping a machine on the pavement than you would losing, say, uh, you know, 800 quid or a thousand quid. Um, so, uh, you know, that was kind of the, the, the feeling behind it. Obviously, I learned my lesson from that. I've never turned up to Macworld ever since without an Apple machine. But um, just just because of the peer pressure thing, you know, but uh, but, you know, that that was the principle behind it was was, uh, you know, a, a machine that was basic, did what I need to do um, and was a bit of a beta, really. And the iBook G3 got me thinking that maybe, you know, the netbook segment has all but disappeared. It was pretty much killed up, killed off once the iPad really got going. Uh, and I think anybody who, in general who was thinking about buying a machine like that now, a cheap second machine, would probably go out and buy a tablet of just some description, either an iPad or, a, or an Android tablet, uh, maybe even a, you know, a playbook or something like that. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, while the netbooks, they, I mean, one of the reasons they failed was because they had a pretty bad user experience. They were very anemically powered. Um, they had some pretty good battery life normally, but, you know, they were kind of, uh, the, the keyboards were small, um, the hard drives in them were often small, but the real problem was that the user experience was bad. They were running Windows mostly, and um, it was just, uh, it was just a little bit painful actually trying to get anything done with them, just because the processes in them were so lowly powered trying to run Windows. And um, as I said, I had a few of them and, you know, I kind of normally struggled through with them for a bit and then decided to get rid of them and, and, and use something else. Um, again, because I travel in my job a lot, I often am looking for something very, very portable. And at the time, you know, it would have been nice to have the original MacBook Air, but I, I just couldn't afford it at that point. Um, so uh, that wasn't really an option for me. And I, I think a lot of people felt like that. Netbooks were very cheap, a cheap option if you wanted something really portable. So, um, but you know, netbooks have been killed off by the tablet market. They just, they're just very difficult to buy now. And really, you know, even the, the ones that are available nowadays, the very few ones that are left, still have that compromised user experience because they're still fairly underpowered, even though they're faster than they used to be. But uh, kind of, you know, I remember all of that. And as I was playing around with this iBook G3, I thought to myself, you know what? This is a pretty good netbook. And, um, I'm kind of putting this forward to you as a theory that if you're in the market for a second machine and for whatever reason, principally because you want to do quite a lot of typing on it, you don't think a tablet or you don't fancy the idea of a tablet with a keyboard um, would do the job for you, then I would suggest to you that rather than going out and buying a shiny new netbook, you might want to, you know, scour eBay or something and pick up an old machine, an old Apple machine in particular, because I, I know that you know, those machines last longer in terms of what you can do with them than uh, than a Windows machine of the same vintage. So let me demonstrate by uh, taking you through the experience I had with setting up the iBook G3. 
So as I said, first thing I do, and, and really if you buy any old computer nowadays, the first thing you do is put some more RAM in it because RAM is so much cheaper than they were when when you when they were new. So I stuck a 512 meg chip into it. A simple piece uh, piece of work to do. Uh, pull up the keyboard, uh, undo a couple of screws in the slots right there. So I put that in. I fixed it's a very good place to find all the step-by-step -step instructions for doing anything like that on old Apple gear. So uh, slam that in there. Now the machine came to me, I think it was running OS 10 10.3 Panther, but I knew with an 800 megahertz G3 it was capable of running Tiger. And you know the, the weird thing about OS 10 operating systems is generally the the later mod, the later version you get, the faster it will run. They've obviously been doing quite a lot of code optimization with each release, so I knew that running Tiger was actually going to be faster than running. Um, running Panther and that's a general rule of thumb with old Apple systems is run the fastest operating system uh, the latest operating system that the hardware will support um, you can hack them to go further if you want to but um, generally that's not that's not a good idea uh, Apple normally puts the limitations so for instance um, Leopard which came after Tiger um, the cutoff point for that was an 867 megahertz G4 so um, anything older than that, um, while you might be able to hack it to get it run, it's not going to run well. And with Leopard, the reason is the graphics. The graphics technology in these older machines just doesn't really help help the operating system run. So um, Tiger is where it's going to go. And so I banged a copy of Tiger on there. I have a copy on a Fireware drive for just these circumstances. Carbon copy cloned, uh, carbon copy cloned it over to the iBook uh, and was up and running and actually what I did was I partitioned the drive um, I wanted a little bit of little bit of space left on that 30 gig drive for something else and I'll talk to you about that in a minute so uh, got Tiger on there and you know with 512 uh, with 640k uh, mega RAM Tiger runs pretty much okay on there I mean it's yes it's slow it's an 800 megahertz G3 so it's slow but to be honest with you, the user experience is no really different than you would get running Windows XP or Windows 7 on a netbook. Um, it's one of those things where you basically you have to work with the limitations of the machine. So you can multitask if you want to, you can get a lot of things going, um, you can be copying files around while you're working on something and the machine will slow down. Um, basically it will slow down and everything will be slow until one of those tasks finishes and then it will spring back. So if you adopt a, kind of an iOS mentality with it, which is do one thing at a time, uh, and if you want to do something else, stop what you're doing in the background, either quit it or let it freeze, then, um, you know, then you can have a pretty good experience. Um, the advantage of, obviously, is uh, on a, on a, net, on a, um, an iBook G3 over a netbook is it's running OS 10 10.4. That is still a fairly modern operating system compared to the latest versions. I mean, it looks and feels broadly the same. Um, obviously there are more features than later ones but but you know kind of how it works is whereas Panther was slightly different from how um, OS 10 works nowadays in terms of the control panels and and how the finder works and everything once they got to Tiger they kind of they kind of got it down there um, it has the key feature you want on it has spotlight which obviously is a fairly important thing for finding stuff in your machine um, it has that on there uh, and the important thing is I found that many of the programs I use today on my um, uh, MacBook Air, which is obviously running um, 10.8, um, the latest version. Um, if you go to the vendor's sites, you'll find that many of them keep a copy around that was capable of running on 10.4 on a PowerPC because they're aware of the, that there are a lot of these machines out there. So, um, for instance, you know, um, 
I've got Office 2004 on that machine. Uh, I've got um, an old copy of Photoshop on there. I've got an old copy of Lightroom that runs on there, so I can do photos if I want to. It runs iLife 05, which you know is basic compared to the the current version, but it works. You can run the first version of iWalkie on there. You can have a more feature limited version of pretty much the vast majority of the applications that you might want to run on a Mac for kind of you know noodling around on the internet and that sort of thing nowadays. Um, one thing it does struggle with is um, video. Struggles with internet video. Um, God, I admit, I, sometimes I, I look at the quality of internet video and I can't understand why slower machines can't render it properly. Um, but there must be something going on that, that stresses the machine out. So, so, you know, you can find... Um, you know, some websites that, that stream video, I mean, YouTube and that sort of thing, can sometimes be a, bit, a little bit sticky on our old machine. But you know what? Um, that is the same on a netbook. So you're actually um, not any worse off by using the iBook G3 as opposed to the netbook for that. Um, and nowadays, it's much less of an issue because many of us have so many other ways to access on, online video nowadays. We, we often do have iPhones, uh, iPads, or that sort of thing. So, you know, you've always got somewhere else to go if you find that the machine you're using is, is not up to the job for that. And, you know, really, I, I in my in my head anyway, the idea of a netbook was a secondary machine, not so much for um, doing heavyweight web stuff but for doing the lightweight stuff you know checking your email um, looking stuff up while you're sat in front of the TV uh, maybe doing a bit of homework or a, a report or something like that maybe writing a few letters in front of the TV or uh, that sort of thing but that was that was what I think a netbook was always best at and that's certainly what an old Apple machine is also best at really I mean you can you will run up against the limitations of these things um, if you work at it but uh, if you kind of bear them in mind then um, you know you can you can deal with it. So uh, yeah, I had the machine up and running, and it's pretty good. I I found that I could do an awful lot. For instance, my workflow for posting to the MyMac website works great on on the iBook G3. I can write my um, write my copy in in BB Edit, which is what I tend to use for for writing for uh, for the site. I use that because I can write in Markdown there, which is a markup language that means that when I then take those Markdown files and post them to this to the site they're converted to HTML and it gives me all the formatting that I want so uh, I can do that I can access the WordPress part of our site very easily using the browsers the Safari browser um, on the iBook G3 there's actually an optimized version of Firefox that's available for the uh, PowerPC machines called 10.4 Fox it's a basically it's a um, a forked version of Firefox that's been optimized for the various PowerPC processors um, and they do a G3 version and I ran that on there and it actually works much better than Safari it actually renders much quicker than Safari uh, on that machine so that's that's worth doing too um, so yeah I could do that I can run Mars edit so I can take my um, BB edit text I can post it to Mars edit and I can put all my images and everything straight up to the site and I can actually publish my articles directly from from the iBook um, so you know so these are the things that kind of I have in mind for a beta machine you know for a machine where if I'm going somewhere where I don't really want to take my MacBook Air because I'm worried about it being stolen or I'm worried about it getting bashed up or, or anything like that um, for instance if I were traveling for work um, and for one reason or other I wanted to have an, an Apple machine with me I probably wouldn't take my MacBook Air because when I'm traveling for work that's you know when I've got a bag over my shoulder that 
and a suit on and it fairly much screams you know this is a guy who's carrying a laptop um now i don't really care if the work laptops get stolen because it's insured by the office i wouldn't like my personal macbook air to be stolen because it would be insured by me uh, and i would have to pay out to replace it so um i wouldn't carry that but you know i would carry the ibook got to be honest with you if for one reason i wanted to have a a mac with me while i was working um said then then i would be tempted to take the ibook with me it's uh it's light enough it's no back macbook air obviously but you know it's it's uh you know it's a pretty small footprint it doesn't weigh too much i was fortunate that the machine i got actually has a pretty good battery um but even if i hadn't uh even if i had got one that had a, a dud battery obviously a lot of these this machine is 10 years old so a lot of them if you buy them on ebay will, will the batteries will be shot um buying a replacement battery is not expensive for these computers about 30 pounds about 50 dollars something like that so um now the, the reason i this kind of got me thinking is is uh let, let me list these things off now the ibook is a great machine 12 inch ibook um whether it's a G3 or G4 is a great machine it's a just the right size um, it's polycarbonate case so it's pretty hardy it doesn't show the scratches up like the PowerBooks do um, it has all the ports you want on it it has a USB admittedly only USB 1 but uh, USB nevertheless and it has uh, FireWire on there so you've got some high speed data transfer they will take an airport card the one I had had the airport card fitted so you can get wireless on there now one caveat with the wireless card is the old airport cards that go in these iBooks won't support um, the latest version of encryption. They won't support WPA or WPA2. They'll only do WEP. Um, and if you have a WPA2 network, as most people do nowadays, then you won't be able to get onto it. I solved that in the house by basically either plugging an Ethernet cable into it when I wanted to use it, or alternatively, and I ended up setting up a, a, a second router. Yeah, a, a Wi-Fi access point now is, you know, not very much money so I set a temporary second one up when I was in the house for um, for using with the iBook uh, with a web um, web key on it rather than WPA so uh, I can use the uh, the iBook wirelessly when you're traveling around with something like this that's much less of a problem because most places you'll go to which have public Wi-Fi will have uh, either no encryption at all or, or they will have web because people tend to use that as the lowest common denominator because everybody supports it. There's quite a few devices like Nintendo DSs and things like that that, that don't support WPA either. Uh, I don't think the PSP does, or at least it didn't used to anyway. I digress. So that's that's that is one caveat. I've got to be honest. I mean, but you can always plug a USB dongle in to get um, better Wi-Fi support if you wanted to. So that's not not really much of a problem. Um, so yeah, it's it's a great machine. Uh, I get good battery life. I get about four hours out of it, which is uh, you know not bad going by Bob on the standards. Got a very nice keyboard, pin sharp 1024 by 768 screen. Um, obviously, it's running OS 10, so it's running modern software, um, and uh, it cost me 20 pounds. That's what I paid for it. There's a reason for that, particularly, and that's why I've mentioned the iBook G3 specifically. The reason that it was so cheap is that the iBook G3s had a shocking hardware reputation. Basically, they had a design fault on them so that they, um, the machines would overheat and the solder joints on the logic boards would wear away from the heat. Uh, and eventually, parts would separate from the logic board and the machine would stop working. And your only recourse at that point was to 
get a new logic board, which is a pretty expensive repair. So um, there was a recall program, as I believe uh, Apple had a pretty extensive recall program on them. Um, but the advantage of that is when you're buying these machines from eBay is that the prices are depressed because people are all leery of them. They don't tend to buy them because they're worried they're going to fail. Um, and also there are, uh, you know, quite a lot out there that are sold as part for parts not working because they've had this failure. The, um, for me, that's a positive because it drives the price down. And the point is, if you do find somebody listing one who's got one that's working, there's an excellent chance that it was either repaired on the warranty program, so it's not going to have the fault anymore, or alternatively, um, it was a good one and it never had the fault in the first place and it's lasted 10 years and it's still going. So... Um, you know, the price is depressed. Uh, if you buy one that's working, there's a good chance it will stay working. And let's face it, if it stops working, you only spent $30 on it. So it's not so much of a big deal. Um, and this is, to me, the, the advantage. If you do want to go out and buy a netbook now, you will find that you'll be spending £200, $300 on it at best. If you want to buy a second-hand netbook... Um, suppose you know you decide you want a netbook say for your kid your kid needs a, a, a laptop for, for a school um, your school program doesn't give you one uh, but you want them to be able to take stuff to the library and type and look up a bit of browsing and that sort of thing um, and for one reason or another you don't want a tablet and let's face it the tablets while they're expensive um, you know they're also fairly fragile uh, and also they're theft magnets too in a, in a school environment so you kind of want to give them a, a cheap laptop well, you can go out and buy a used netbook on eBay, but you'll spend $150, $200 on that. They, uh, you know, they're not uh, they're not being given away for nothing. Um, or you can get a 10-year-old iBook, and you'll have a machine that looks pretty cool, uh, does the job for what they're going to want to do, has the ports you want on it, um, and with a little bit of effort and work, should last them for a good few years, certainly through a college program or a school program. So that's what I'm suggesting to you. I'm going to keep this one by and I'm going to use it as a beast machine. Um, I'm thinking about picking one up for my son as well. Uh, maybe... Oh, well, the thing with eBay is you have to look at what's available. Um, here's a tip. If you are buying uh, particularly Apple laptops on eBay, don't buy them on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, because that's when everyone's looking on eBay. So if you are looking for machines, you want to save a little bit of money and not perhaps not be bidding against as many people, then um, buy ones that are finishing during the week. If you find one that's finishing during the day uh, in your local time zone rather than the evening, that's even better, because basically the only people who are going to be bidding on it are people who are at work, and um, they will be busy. <laughs> so you, I, I, I've bought a lot of stuff on eBay and this is absolutely true you buy stuff during the day during a weekday and you'll end up paying less for it and bidding against less people than if you buy stuff in the evenings or a Saturday or a Sunday so um, there you go that's what I'd uh, that's what I'd recommend you do if you're in the market for a netbook is look at the old uh, look at old Apple instead um, you may think I'm crazy you may think that I'm deluded um, I'd like to hear from you either way, or you may think it's a good idea. Either way, I'd like to hear from you, so uh, get in touch. You know where to find us. Um, you can get through us through the uh, TechFan website. You can leave comments there. You can leave comments on the MyMac site. You can email us, uh, davidcohen at mymac.com, um, tim at mymac.com, or you can find us on Twitter. Uh, uh, tim is at mymac, and uh, I am at David B. Cohen. 
So I'm going to take a break now, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk about what's been going on with electric, electronic arts and SimCity this week. Soft kitty, warm kitty, little ball of fur. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up what, here, Mark. What, what's going on, Kevin? You're singing the song Soft Kitty. That That's only for when somebody's sick and not feeling well. Oh, but I thought it'd be a great intro into the show. I mean, after all, people listening to us, they've got to be a little bit sick, don't they? That's true. We can't deny that. Especially if they want to hug a geek every week. I know. A little bit confusing. A little bit painful. I feel sorry for them. <laughs> but you know what? If you haven't listened to Geekiest Show Ever, simply go across to iTunes and type in Geekiest Show Ever and you can listen to Kevin and me every single week. We're sick, we're twisted, but we have fun doing it. Okay, so here I am again. Um, having waxed lyrical about some of the good things that the tech industry can do by giving us old, old computers that are still useful. I'm now going to talk about some of the bad things the tech industry does. And uh, yeah, most most of us who are into games will have heard the controversy this week over uh, the new version of SimCity from our good friends at Electronic Arts. Now, Tim and I were talking about Electronic Arts last week, and we were talking about their uh, freemium model and um, how they're adopting that for all of their mobile games now, where they offer the game for free, but there's lots of in-app purchases to create the revenue stream and there's been a big debate about um, users of those games whether uh, you know moving electronics has been very upfront that they're going to do all of their mobile games like this now so um, clearly they think they make more money that way than by selling a, a game for a one-off price and um, they launched SimCity this week the latest version of SimCity um, which I've never played I have seen it played, I've watched people play it, but I've never played it myself. That level of kind of micromanagement has never seemed that much fun to me, but I, you know, I recognise that people love SimCity. Uh, and, you know, it's a very venerable franchise. It's been on, been around for, what, 15, 20 years now, probably since the original one? Uh, it must have been, yeah, early 90s at least, when the first one came out. Um, so EA launched the latest version this week, and it looks very spiffy. I mean, it really looks uh, very, very detailed and, you know, um, looks like it, every, every what every budding city mayor would, would like to play around with. Um, and it launched to pretty much universally good reviews from the people who'd seen the code and, and got to use it before it was actually available for retail. And uh, I read a couple of those reviews and they were extremely glowing about what a great game it was, how addictive it was. Um, how it captured the essence of what made the original so great while bringing it up to date with you know, new graphics and new features and all this sort of thing. But a couple of those reviews, certainly the more um, candid ones, uh, made it clear that uh, they were using uh, pre-release servers to actually run the game on. And what that means is that, um, there's much like uh, Diablo 3, which launched from Blizzard last year, um, this is one of those games where you have to be connected to uh, Electronic Arts or Origin servers in order to play it. Um, now, I don't know the ins and outs of quite how it works, but from, from what I've read, it appears to be that not all of the game processing occurs on your computer. Um, there is a certain amount of it that is stored on the Origin servers. You have to have an account with them, and uh, while you don't pay for the... Um, 
while you don't pay for the service, at least I don't think you do, um, you do. Uh, it, it is a way of EA being able to sell new stuff to you through the um, through the game, uh, and also it's it's a form of uh, digital rights management because basically you have to have a valid account, a valid license key, uh, and be connected all the time in order for the game to run. So that means uh, people can't pirate copies of the game and, and run them elsewhere. And these reviews that I read made a point of saying that they'd used this service in beta effectively with pre-release code and it worked great and they'd not had really any problems getting online and accessing all of these fabulous new online features and everything. So they were happy to give the game um, a glowing review. There was one in particular, Ars Technica, where they gave it an... Sorry, was it Ars Technica? No, I... I, I misspeaking there, I believe it was uh, Polygon which is The Verge's gaming site they gave it a 9 out of 10 a lofty, lofty score unfortunately if you were to go to Polygon today and have a look at their uh, review you'd find a couple of addendums to the review and it's now down at a 4 out of 10 and the reason for that is that when the game launched, uh, these servers basically promptly fell over and would have been down for days um, and not, and not, not that would be bad enough. But actually, it's worse than that because they're not down, down. They're kind of half down. They're overloaded, and so you can find that you can connect, and your city loads, and your game starts, and then after about five seconds, the thing drops out, and you can't get on. Um, or you find that um, you can get on, uh, but then the game doesn't work properly because the servers are overloaded. Uh, and people are being booted in and out, left, right and centre, and it's a complete and utter mess, frankly. Uh, EA has done some substantial damage limitation as far as they can. They have um, removed features from the games to try and reduce the load on the servers, which presumably means that the, um, they're, they're changing the code so the, the servers are doing less. Uh, I believe there's a speed-up mode called Cheetah in, in SimCity which allows you to run time at high speed so that um, management changes you've made can be kind of implemented without you having to wait in real time for, for them to, for, to see what the results are. They've turned that mode off because that runs on their servers rather than running on your computer um, and they're trying to reduce the load of the servers so um, they've turned that off for the time being. Uh, and they are also limiting logons and uh, putting more servers in and uh, basically doing what they can to try and bring the service up and at the same time they've offered everybody who bought SimCity uh, a f another free game they've said you can have a, a free game to compensate you for the rocky start now what I'd like to say is um, I think EA should take another lesson from this, which is don't do these stupid online DRM server-based systems for your games anymore. Really. I mean, really. This is a game that came out in the early 90s. It was, it was re-released, SimCity 2000, obviously at the turn, the turn of the, the millennium. Right? And compared to what we have today... The hardware that you were running at that time was archaic. The pace of change in computers has not slowed down at all. If anything, it's slightly sped up. So even going back to what I was talking about in the first segment, an iBook G3, if you, well, that, was, that was launched in 2003. If you go back three years to 2000, to the computer available then, they were about a third of the power. 
yeah, you were just coming out of the original power PCs, the 180 megahertz into uh, into the G3s at that point. Yeah, and that, that and those machines ran SimCity 2000 fine, and the ones back in the early 90s, yeah, were were basically our phones have more power in them now, and they ran SimCity fine. Yeah, not as well, not as graphically finessed, not with as many features and options and that sort of thing, but it was the same freaking game, right? Those computers that were so old could run the game and could make it the massive hit that it was. So now all of a sudden we need the cloud and servers to run this, this new version of, of the same game? Like hell we do. Now what we need to do is we need a... a uh, electronic revenue line for EA so they can start throwing rubbish at you oh buy this buy that buy a new building buy a new scenario yeah and that's fine you know there's nothing wrong with selling stuff to enhance a gaming experience there's nothing wrong per se with in-app purchase but making it a condition of running the game and then failing to deliver the game at launch that is just I mean that that is just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous and of course I understand what it happens, how it happens. I, I work in data center design, part of my job. I know exactly the first question that anybody asks when you talk about data center capacity is what is what is the server load going to be? How busy are the machines going to be? What are the applications they're going to be running? And how many users are going to be running it? Because that tells you how big to make the facility. So clearly the people who, who run the origin service that EA relies on for this, yeah, it's, it's a subsidiary of theirs. Yeah, so EA says, right, we're, com we're, we're coming out with SimCity, uh, we're going to make it online only. We're going to need some server capacity. And uh, the server guys at origin go, okay, how many systems do you need? And at that point, the people go, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So they look at their their focus groups. Uh, I'm talking business speak now. Look at their focus groups and their marketing surveys and their and their sales projections and uh, how many people they think are going to basically buy the game, use the game, run the game, and when they're going to run it. And they come up with some estimates. Yeah. And in most businesses, typically what you do is is you take the first round of estimates and you go okay. And so that's um, you know that's going to need two thousand servers. Okay, we think that's probably too much, so let's make it 1500 servers. Yeah, and then there's a couple of technical reasons why you can't have 1500 servers because you can't get supply or the data center it's going to it doesn't have the capacity and it's complicated to split it over two data centers. So somebody goes, okay, well, yeah, 1500, we'll make it 1300 because uh, 1300 is nearly as good as 1500 anyway. Yeah, and then there's some chewed up in testing and some are set aside for the journalists to, to test and that sort of thing. And some is set aside for new features and all of that. So it then becomes a thousand servers. Yeah, and, the, oh, and then and then to actually deploy them and get them live for the go live. It's like, oh, you can deliver a thousand servers for the for the, uh, for the the game ship date, can you? Was, oh, yeah, well, you know, Jeff's off that week. Um, you know, and, and Margaret's just, just going to, uh, she's having a baby three weeks before. Uh, you know, so so we might be down a couple of people. Uh, so we can either bring in some contractors at uh, you know our our salary rate plus time and a half, yeah, or we can try and do it with the people we've got. Oh, yeah, just do it with the people you've got. You know, do your best, do your best. So only eight hundred servers go in. So then you've ended up with half the capacity you originally decided at the beginning that you wanted. Oh, and surprise, surprise, yeah, when the game comes online, it doesn't work 
because the server's too overloaded. And then everyone runs around going, oh, no, no, I can't believe the server's on. We, we need more servers. We need more servers. Get on the phone to Dell. Get on the phone to Dell. Yeah, we need uh, 150 servers tomorrow. Yeah. And, and then start scrabbling around. It will have been exactly like that because every single server project I've ever seen works exactly like that. Nobody is going to spend more money than they have to on the server back end. Nobody's going to say, well, let's over-provision it. Let's make sure... We think that we're going to need 5 million players on day one. Let's, let's make sure everyone gets experience. Let's buy enough capacity for 7 million. Because as soon as you put that in front of a purchasing director or a finance director or any data centre operations manager, he's going to say, well, hang on, hang on a minute. How, how long are we going to need 7 million capacity for? We're going to need 7 million capacity for the whole life of the game, for the whole life of this service, which is 3, 4 years? Oh, well, no, it's going to tail off, isn't it? Because, you know, some people will buy it on the first day and not like it, and some people will buy it and they don't have time to play it, and some people will buy it and uh, and like it, but they can only do it at the weekend or that sort of thing. So we don't need 7 million available 24-7. So they go, all right, well, let's, let's scale it down, scale it down, scale it down. And what they end up doing is scaling it down too far. And then the thing doesn't work. And this is the problem with this online model of game provision. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing. What does this show you is going to happen in five years' time when you pick up another a copy of that game? Um, you know, you find it in your closet and go, oh, SimCity, I remember how great this was. That was all those teething problems at the beginning, but they probably fixed them now. Let's play it again. And you go and you load it on your computer and you put it in, yeah, and then you find, oh, we can't, can't, lo can't log you in because those that service isn't available anymore. But bye, SimCity 2020, to, uh, 2020. That's the new version. That's much better. This, that is that is what these games and companies want to get us to. And you know what? EA are, unfortunately, they're the biggest uh, culprit here. Blizzard's close behind. And the problem is, is that these game companies think that these machines, um, these systems and, and solutions they're building are always going to be so popular that they can afford to have, you know, three data centers worth of stuff supporting the entire planet's worth of game players. Yeah? And what's going to happen if they start having financial problems? The first thing that's going to go is that service. Mm. Yeah, what's going to happen when that company starts having financial problems? And they will, because no games companies ever lasted more than about 15, 20 years. Think about all the big games companies that uh, were around when you know when, you know when I was a kid, when I was growing up. Um, Edos. Out of business. Yeah. Sierra Online. Purchased. Rundown. Microprose. Long gone. These games. These game companies were huge. Yeah. You know, a Ados had had Tomb Raider. You know, it was one of the biggest game companies on the planet. I remember what I used to follow their share price every day, because they were so successful and they were a British company. They're gone. Yeah. How many studios you we, Tim and I were talking about this the other week? How many game studios launch a game and immediately they launch it, they get canned. And these people are meant to be maintaining services to keep these games going for the long term? No, they won't. So this is look, this this is just it's what's happened with SimCity illustrates how it's bad for gaming. It's bad for gamers. It's bad for the technology industry, makes us look like chuckleheads. And the only people it's good for are the suits running these companies. And the problem is, is that 
these guys will be gone. You know, if they, if 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 the thing gets wound up, goes out of business because of a, a few of poor executions like this, yeah, they move on somewhere else. All the all the guys do the hard work. They're all out of a job, and we get no games. This very much reminds me of Sony of about 10, 15 years ago when Sony made a series of decisions in their products that suited Sony. They didn't suit their users, they didn't suit their customers, didn't suit even the people inside their company, but it just suited Sony as a business. And Sony today is a shadow of what it used to be. It missed so many things because every time they tried to do something, it was hamstrung by business decisions that were all about protecting what they saw as, as the sacred cow of their revenue stream. Yeah, look at Minidisc. Look at Blu-ray. Look at some of the decisions made about Blu-ray. Yeah, the the protection schemes and the DRM and uh, the limitations built into these products just to try and protect Sony as the business. And of course, now they're not successful as they used to be. And that's what's going to happen to these games companies. You know, another one like this, and I guarantee, guarantee Electronic Arts will be on the ropes. It costs, it costs millions of dollars to develop these games. And if the, you then, when you actually deploy them, you screw it up, yeah, people have long memories. They go, well, I'm not going to buy games from them anymore. I'm certainly not, not, not going to buy games like that anymore that have that system on. So the more they persist with it, the less games they're going to sell. Then the quality goes down, people start being laid off, the company shrinks, and before you know it, a big company like Electronic Arts is out of business. Oh, how I wish that somebody from the game companies was listening to this and would take note. I don't think they will. Um, but, you know, I, I think this whole SimCity affair just shows oh, what a weak, weak model this online, um, you know, always, always on talk to me all the time model is you know the only people it suits is the suits and that's not just not good enough what do you think let us know i've rambled on long enough now so i'm gonna i'm gonna go and turn this in and uh hopefully tim and i will be together again at the end of this week speak to you soon bye